Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 78 and is being recorded on November 24th, 2017. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Discovery, Episode 9, Into the Forest I Go. Warning, this is a spoiler-filled episode. I'm Aaron Gallo. I'm Eric Berry. And I'm Eric Dewey. And this episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention this podcast for 10% off your order. How's everyone doing today? I'm good. Welcome back. Yeah, so you guys uh, manned the fort or the... The shuttle pod. Yeah, the sh- yeah. <laughs> manned the helm while I was away. We were adrift in a shuttle pod together while our captain was out in the, uh, out in the world adventuring. <laughs> I had the, uh, the sea bass rations mm. for anyone that remembers shuttle pod one from Enterprise. I was actually going to say, did you guys crack open some alcohol... Uh, <laughs> I definitely needed some alcohol. <laughs> not today, and unfortunately not yesterday either, because I had to work after Thanksgiving dinner. So. Oh, I had a couple last night. So, <laughs> how was uh, how was your trip? It was good. I uh, got a very expensive wallet from the Gallo store over there. Nice. Gallo written on it. For those who don't know, that's my last name. Uh, I was in Italy, and we visited several places. Um, we were in Rome, went to Malta, a couple of places in Greece, a couple of places in Italy. Uh, so it was a good time. We already have our next trip planned for next October. Nice. So that will be fun. That's an a- That'll be an Asian cruise. Ooh. Yeah, we'll be going to uh, Japan, Hong Kong, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore. Take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish one I of these could. days I'm gonna have to get my passport so I can uh, leave this country on vacation at some point. Yeah, I uh, I recommend it. it. It'll be cool. It'll be my first time in Asia, so I'm. You know, checking off the different continents that I've been to. And your Antarctica trip scheduled? <laughs> well, I, I think I'll go to South America before I go to Antarctica. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Check them off one at a time. One at a time. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to cover you again if Star Trek Discovery comes back in 2018. Yeah. That's out of vacation. I don't think I've ever taken more than a two-week vacation ever. And even then, that was a one-time thing. Every other time, it's always been one week or less. Yeah, I feel really weird taking such a long vacation. Before I was married, uh, any vacation I took, I just stayed home and did nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of weird, but it's cool. I recommend cruises if you ever get the opportunity to go on one. Exploration is always good. Love, love to explore. I just haven't had the opportunity myself yet. So I need an extended shore leave. That's for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. 
All right. So what uh what news do we got? So uh we have official word that the season one, chapter two of Discovery will begin on January seventh, twenty eighteen, with episode ten, Despite Yourself. So not too long to wait. Yeah, we had discussed previously, we had the date. I don't know if we had the title yet. But yeah, not too long of a break. Long enough to, to give everybody, you know, a little holiday break. I so still feel this is too long. <laughs> it gives with, me, with that ending. Me because it gives me the opportunity to get pumped for Star Wars. And then like to have Ooh. that, to watch that, to be excited for that and do that. And then just around the time that'll all be wearing off for me. Star Trek's back. I'm like, yes, this is perfect timing. I love it. Actually, I wonder if they did time that. Like, they were like, okay, Star Wars is coming out in December, so we should just take our break. <laughs> it would not shock me at all if that... It may not have been the the deciding factor, but it wouldn't shock me at all if it was a factor when they were yeah. making the decision. But yeah, so uh, I'm excited, especially after... The last episode that we'll be discussing today. Oh, yeah. So I had some catching up to do. I was on vacation with no internet access. And when I did have internet access, because I'm American and everything I have is American, I wasn't able to access <laughs> anything. Any, anything. <laughs> so uh, that stunk. So what was it like to basically binge three episodes of Star Trek? Um, it was okay. Actually, I was surprised. I, I, when I did watch it, I watched it on my commute into work. So I was watching on my phone and the app actually worked for the most part. So whatever updates they did while I was away, good job, CBS, because, uh, I was able to watch it with limited buffering. So that was good. Yeah, I've noticed that I haven't had as much trouble with freezing issues in the app uh, lately. It's still, I still have my own issues with the app. I still don't like the fact that there's a banner ad. I haven't gotten the popover ad anymore, thankfully. That mm -hmm. stopped. That was really annoying. I'm like, come on, guys, seriously. I'm paying you $10 a month. I do not need an ad that pops up randomly when I'm trying to search for episodes. That is bad. Oh, God. I haven't seen that lately, so I think they may have taken that away. But it does still have that banner out at the bottom, which is annoying and just ugly. Like, it's small enough that I can avoid, and like, I'm not worried about accidentally hitting it. But yeah. it's ugly and annoying for something that I pay for. And, and it's still, uh, this, the interface is still the same. So it's still that clunky interface that just doesn't quite work right, especially just, when you're trying to find certain episodes within a season. So Just give me, like... What every other streaming app does, and give me, like, the 10-second jump forward and backward. Because trying to skip over the theme song, like, I was trying to do that today, and then you have to work with that dumb slider, and then I overshoot it by two minutes, and I'm like, ugh, just give me the yeah, chance to skip. Yeah, especially when you're on your phone and you're trying to use the, the, the scrobbler bar or whatever, and it's like, okay, that's great, except you've got... An hour of show in, you know, four inches of that <laughs> doesn't it's hard to very carefully. I've learned how to get that minute 15. That is the Star Trek Enterprise theme song very, very quickly and very, very well. Now, I'm very good at that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> have to practice now, uh, skipping through that particular song. <laughs> 
But other than that, uh, yeah, it would be nice to have that, you know, especially when you're like, oh, wait, did I miss something? And you like to just jump back real quick. And all the other apps have that ability to either jump back 10 or 30 seconds. Just mm-hmm. real- That would be a nice addition. They're getting there. <laughs> yeah, slowly but surely. Once once Star Trek Discovery season's over, they'll release the update. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask you guys, are you going to continue your subscription with no Discovery? I probably will, uh, simply because I there are other shows that uh, specifically my wife watches that that are on CBS and it's easier to, to get them that way than any other way currently. Uh, since we don't have any form of cable or satellite, we, you know, we're completely internet only. So I will, I will keep it, uh, because okay. we use other things and I don't want to bother with having to resubscribe and unsubscribe. You know, honestly, I'd rather just leave it going and not have to worry about it. Yeah. I just got an email yesterday from Netflix that they're raising their, price uh, a dollar in december for yeah so it's gonna be 10.99 that stinks yeah i I saw that and you know my first reaction was to get angry and be like oh how dare you netflix and then i look at it and i'm like you know what it's still for the value that you get it's still one of the cheapest entertainment packages you can buy and they don't have ads yeah, you don't you don't get commercials. You don't have to worry about uh, any of that. They've got a ton of content, including original stuff. For me, it's it's worth it, even with the extra buck. It's like, yeah, I'd like for it to stay the same price forever, but I can't expect them to continue making new shows and stay the same price forever. And it still ends up being, you know, dollar for dollar. I think Netflix is probably one of the best values out there for your entertainment needs. Yeah, for sure. I have already prepaid for the year for CBS All Access. So I'm going to keep it until at least uh, September. If there's no new Star Trek... Hopefully by then Season 2 will be starting, or at least have been announced. Uh, hopefully. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I already get CBS streaming through DirecTV now. And I have some uh, on-demand shows for CBS through DirecTV now. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I don't... Star Trek's the only thing I'm paying for. (laughs) (laughs) As of right now, that's the only thing that I believe is... I I actually know they have added another couple of exclusives, haven't they? I I haven't really paid much attention because it hasn't been anything that I've been interested in. But Mm -hmm. I think the idea is that they're going to be having more things that are CBS All Access exclusive. And I would not be surprised if they announced something fairly big that starts shortly after Discovery ends to keep people subscribed who did subscribe originally for Discovery. Another Star Trek show. <laughs> <laughs> no, though, with the success of Discovery, I don't see why not. I would love I, a post Voyager fi- series. Oh, just, God. you know, forget, just go crazy with the technology. Give, give me Enterprise J. Give me that, and... Uh, a series based around that i would oh i would be in heaven just give me an anthology series like they were gonna do because <laughs> i i'd love to see some past actors come back to reprise their roles and see where we're at you know right well i mean i think archer is still supposed to be alive in this timeline isn't he Didn't in the he live? timeline he was still alive at least at the point where scotty was in training 
that that much we know because he talked about getting the reason he was banished to that uh, ice planet was because he had uh, had a well, transporter mishap with Admiral Archer's prized beagle. See, I don't I don't think he is alive by discovery because supposedly, according to like the Enemir Darkly, where they got oh, the yeah. so he died watching like the day after watching the launch of the NCC seventeen oh one Enterprise. Oh, okay. All right. So I I mean as much as I would like to see Archer uh Scott Bakula reprise his role, maybe they can do some archival footage thing. I was just excited to see Jonathan Archer's name pop up in this show, okay? Like <laughs> to me that was right. like sweet. <laughs> but I mean just just anything. I would I would love like a Romulan war mini arc or yeah. mini series. Just Yeah. That's the one part of this whole timeline, which I think any Trekkie who's been immersed in this show for any number of years, that's the one part of the timeline that we are dying for because we would have had it in Enterprise had it not been canceled so prematurely. And uh, I'm just that's that's my one bitter pill. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, it would be nice. But let's let's move on to the next bit of news. So for you baseball fans who live in uh, San Francisco, the San Francisco Giants and Star Trek are teaming up for the third annual Star Trek night at AT&T Park to be held on Friday, August 31st, when the Giants take on the New York Mets at 7.15 Pacific time. Each- I assume that's uh, 2018. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. It's uh, in the future. In the future. Sure. <laughs> uh, each each special event ticket package includes a ticket to watch the Giants versus Mets, as well as a collector's edition Star Trek Giants Starfleet Command badge hat, available exclusively with the purchase of a special event ticket, so you have to make sure you get the ticket, the special event ticket, not just the ticket mm-hmm. for the game. Yeah, they, they do these uh, throughout the throughout the Major League Baseball, they do these theme nights. Stinks for me because I don't want to go to a Giants game unless the Diamondbacks are playing, so I can go <laughs> against the Giants, and the last thing I want is a Giants colored hat, but I think it's awesome. I hope more teams start doing it, because almost every team already has a Star Wars night. And then a lot of teams have, like, a superhero night. I know the Diamondbacks do a superhero night. Um, and it's just a lot of fun for everybody. You get the cosplayers out there uh, doing their thing, and uh, the, the charity groups come out and are able to, to raise funds and things like that. Um, my, my charity, Comic Air, uh, does really well on uh, superhero night at, at uh, Chase Field in Phoenix when they do that. So I, I love these theme nights, and I love the fact that there is a Star Trek one. Uh, I just wish there was one closer to me or that my team was doing it specifically. The uh, Red Sox did one. The Star Trek ticket is 171 bucks For a hat, I'm good. Wow, that's... But you're at the premium... <laughs> you're at the premium field club level, so you're, like, right in the front. But yeah, tickets to uh, a Giants game uh, at at that park are are insanely expensive anyway because they have sold out nearly every single game for the past like 15 years or something like that. I think they had their first 
non-sellout game in like 15 years this year because the Giants stunk so bad this year. <laughs> uh, but still, they managed to sell out almost every single game except for like that one. <laughs> and that, so, yeah, tickets are going to be a lot more expensive just in general. And then a theme night with an additional item, of course, is going to be even more. So, the hat looks cool. The hat does look pretty cool. Like I said, I wish it. Ju- I just wish it wasn't Giants colors. But other than that, the hat's pretty pretty bomb. <laughs> well, you can get get beyond that. Just don't look at the side. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on to our would you buy it? And guys, would you purchase this item? I'm going to have to take a hard pass on this one. It's cool as heck, but no, I would not buy it. I'm going to wait for the McFarlane version. (laughs) Uh, I agree, though this looks uh, extremely cool. And we're talking about the Anovo Star Trek Discovery Starfleet Phaser Pistol Interactive Prop Replica. This is a limited production run. Yeah, they say limited, but... They're currently taking reservations for Wave 5. Yeah. So they've had five pre-order waves so far, and they sell out every time. And it's 500 bucks. That's, yeah. that's the thing right there. $500. And yeah, it's cool. It's very well made. It looks cool. It's interactive. You know, it, it, it does, uh, you know, has the lights and the buttons, and you can play with it and all that fun stuff. But I have not seen anything about this. That makes me think it's ten times better than the McFarland proper is supposed to get next year, which also has lights and you can play with and push the buttons and stuff like that, and is coming out for fifty bucks. So this mm-hmm. is literally ten times the price. I have not seen anything to indicate that it's ten times better than that prop. So uh, yeah, I'm with Eric on this one. Definitely going to check out that McFarland one. I actually uh, did order a 3D printed one from an Etsy store. That Ooh. should be coming hopefully soon, um, because I couldn't wait. I was like, I want one. I want one now. I'll probably pick up the McFarlane one when it comes out also, but I do have a, a 3D printed and hand-painted one coming to me uh, very shortly that I, I'll be able to uh, review on a future show for you guys. Oh, very nice. Uh, and this is a very pretty model. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, like we said, fully finished interactive replica with 3D printed construction, just like the actual hero production piece. Stunning kill settings selected by side switch on both left and right side with lit ring indicator light at top. Stun is blue and kill is red. Removable P1 cricket phaser from the top with spring-loaded pop-up scope. Removable magnetic battery clip with indicator light uh, goes into the pistol handle per the original asset. Now, does the McFarland one do that as well? Uh, no clue. They haven't no. really released details on it. Okay. Yeah, I know that it had uh, you know, like functioning buttons and such, but I don't know about actual like power and stuff like that. But I will say when uh, Art Asylum did mm-hmm. the Enterprise phase pistol, yep. you could open it up and there was that like plasma pack that you could mm-hmm. insert. Yeah, that was the coolest part of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I kind of hope that the McFarland one will uh, will do that as well. 
but the Sonovos version does have replaceable consumer batteries, so you don't have to worry about shelf life or uh, you know an unserviceable custom-made rechargeable battery. It has a rotating barrel, display stand, and a certificate of authenticity. Gotta have that certificate of authenticity. <laughs> I'll look up the information on the McFarland toy, but evidently TrekCore has not updated their, uh, has not renewed their domain name. <laughs> that was the... Oh, <laughs> shit! Stuff. So, uh, anybody from TrekCore, if you're listening, hey, uh, get to your um, registrar and update your domain registration. <laughs> oh my god, it is! No, that's like a good repository of Yeah, so I'm like, wait a minute, that's not cool at all. Uh, <laughs> uh hold on while I take to Twitter. <laughs> like, oh my god, no, that's uh that's terrible. We can't uh hey truck core guys, what the hell? Somebody forgot to update their credit card information at their uh registrar. Oh. Uh, it says it says an hour ago. Hi, folks. If you're having difficulty accessing truckcore.com, our team is already working to correct the issue. Mm. All right. So they These, do know that's good news. Okay, Whew. but really, they they give you warnings that your domain's going <laughs> to expire like weeks in advance. So <laughs> yeah, mine automatically renews. Uh, uh, that stinks. Well, anywho. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, if you're going to buy this, let us know and tell us how it is. I think these, uh, if you pre-order these, you're not going to get them until the summertime anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, for for heads up, the, the McFarlane one, I did find another place that had the slide from the presentation that was made regarding these. And it was it's actually only $40 for the McFarlane prop, not 50 so it's even cheaper than I, than I remembered it being. And it says one to one scale, screen accurate detail, gonna be forty bucks, and it includes play action features. It doesn't really go into much more detail than that about whether or not that means lights or anything like that, but that doesn't you know, I I assume that means that the buttons are pressable and such. That's what I would assume that means. That's cool. I like play functionality. I yeah, like this playing one is designed for cosplayers. Course. That's what they they say. It's designed for cosplayers and role players, so it's designed to be used. It's not designed to be something that you sit on the shelf. Um, I don't know about the, obviously the Anovus one is designed for use also if it's got all these extra features. But I just man, five hundred bucks for a for a toy gun basically. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take a hard pass. Yeah, if it actually fired. Uh, yeah, phaser beam? It was a real phaser <laughs> that I could use to defend myself. <laughs> and yes, I would. I would consider paying five hundred dollars for that. But <laughs> or even like a laser, like if some kind of beam emitted from it, that would be cool. I, I still don't know if I'd pay five hundred for that because I have a very cool. I've got one of those green lasers that you use for astronomy purposes that you can actually see the beam so that you can like point out stars and, and constellations and stuff. Yeah. And that cost me. I think I paid ten dollars for the laser itself and another eight for the special batteries it needed. So five hundred, I still don't know about that because the tech's out there for cheap enough that they could add that without bumping the price up too much. Yeah, for real though. <laughs> Why don't we move right into the topic of the show? Spectral scans, Star Trek Discovery episode nine. Into the forest I go. This was an episode, guys. Oh, <laughs> oh my my. It is definitely the one that I've watched the most out of all of the episodes thus far. Um, I've watched every episode of Discovery at least four times, 
Uh, I think Damn, I dude. So at least six. Unfortunately, this is the one I've watched the least. Uh, <laughs> this morning was actually my second time. Oh, wow. I just haven't had time to rewatch it. Yeah, I've only seen it twice. I watched it twice the night it came out. Like, Damn. I watched it, and then I was like, wow. And then I, like, paused for a moment. I, I kind of caught my breath. And then I watched After Trek, and then I watched the episode again before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. I was like, just, wow. This episode was just so packed full, yet I never felt that it, it never felt cluttered to me. Like, there was so much that happened, but I never felt like, oh, they're shoving too much into this short time frame. Like, yeah, they could have made it longer, as with all of their episodes, we've discussed that, but, wow, just... I was I was also surprised just how how much room it felt like it had to breathe because they destroy that Klingon ship like like maybe thirty five minutes into the episode and you still got like fifteen minutes I was like wow they're they're really going to explore some consequences here so you get to see immediately the effects of their results like. There's that whole nice talk with Stamets and, and Lorca on the shuttle bay, which was a gorgeous uh, oh, a visual effect shot. Just, that was great. The cinematography of that scene was just phenomenal. Just the way they show it, you know, just just them standing like way off in the distance and you, the big open shuttle bay and the planet. and the Oh, man. So beautiful. Yeah. And so we got to see a lot more that. I didn't think we would. I, I thought like the big moment would be that they destroyed the Klingon ship, but this show is all about the characters and I think they're really doing a fantastic job with that. That that was amazing. And in that scene, of course, was so fantastic too. Just the, the fact that, you know, they, they break the cloak, they they do all that and then he's shooting at the ship and I love how like right before he gives the order to fire he puts the he does the eye thing so that he can watch the first part of the explosion without any Oh like I love that he's like I'm about to blow some stuff up and I want to see it happen so I'm gonna use my little eye drop electronic eye dropy thing to uh, protect my eyes and then fire and I'm like yeah and the look on Cole's face when he turns around like are they sh- they're shooting at us like how are they shooting at us right now like how is this happening <laughs> oh man oh just fantastic we learn that the title of this episode from After Track eventually. Uh, comes from a quote by John Murr. And into the forest I go to lose my mind and find my soul. The writers of the episode chose it because they believed it especially reflected Michael Burnham's journey over the past eight episodes. Okay. No, I, I, I totally see that. I thought when I first saw this episode, like Into the Forest I Go, or when I first saw the title... I thought it would be connect, still connected to the planet Pavo, like right. the forests and all that stuff. But yep. no, I like that they took a more uh, literary meaning to it, and you know this this quote. So no, I think it's a nice touch. I I really like all the episode titles for this season because it seems like they have a a, a deeper meaning and more connected to the episodes and maybe some past Star Trek series. Yeah, for sure. I, I do enjoy the episode titling, and <clears throat> this is another one that we did not get them actually saying the episode title in the episode, 
Although at one point during the 133 micro jumps, the uh, uh, Stamets did say something about seeing a forest. I forget the exact uh, words he used, but he did say something about like, ooh, I see the forest. It's so beautiful, basically. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't quite all there <laughs> during that sequence. Oh, no. The, the whole thing with Stamets, I feel like just... When Lorca was proposing this idea, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, nothing good can come from this. <laughs> this is going to be very, very bad. <laughs> but I know he's going to get him to do it because he, you know, Stamets wants the war to end. He wants to go back to being a scientist. He doesn't want to be on a warship. And uh, Lorca knows exactly how to manipulate Stamets. No, he he knows how to manipulate everyone. That's that's oh, the yeah. thing about yeah. Lorca. He's the master manipulator. That's his whole that's his whole thing. That's how he's he's survived. <laughs> yeah, and it's especially interesting that he gives like asks uh, uh Stamus to do this after he gets a medical check saying that like his the white matter in his brain is being fried, basically. Yeah, it's being rewired. Yeah, yeah. He orders Stamets to go have a checkup, not because he actually wants him to have a checkup, but because he wants the paper trail of him sending him to the doctor to check. Because they were ordered to jump to the starbase, and he chose to fly on warp instead, and he wanted to have that excuse, like, "Oh yeah, uh, my my navigator was." feeling a little off so we decided to just warp over there while he got checked out and yeah and the look of fear in stamus's face when he yeah. knew that he had to get the checkup he was like oh my god He's it like, came crashing down pretty quick especially with tilly being like oh he finally told you about the side effects and it was like oh damn it tilly <laughs> classic tilly <laughs> oh tilly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that that was a little funny, but also at the same time it's it, it'll be interesting to see where their relationship goes after this. Mhm. But I think they'll be too busy dealing with the after effects of this episode to you know, for for anything to really go relationship-wise. I think the priority will be to fix statements. Yeah. I think that'll be the, the focus that we see in the first few episodes. Um, obviously, them figuring out where slash when slash in which universe they are uh, when they came out of that weird spore jump. And then also, you know, obviously, I think the, the focus is going to be they know they probably can't get back to wherever they need to be without Stamets being able to plug back into the spore drive. And he's obviously in no condition to do that based on the teasers that we, we saw from the next uh, half a season. So I think right. that focuses them trying to fix him so that they can use him to get back, you know, to their actual uh, proper place slash time slash universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's pretty effed up that Lorca knew that Stamets feeling the effects of these jumps pretty badly. And he says that he's, you know, just one more jump. And then he knowingly, sets course for what we can only assume is the mirror universe. Yeah, that's of course the guess because we know that there's supposed to be mirror episodes in this series. That could be right. where they end up right now, or it could be one of the effects of them trying to get home is that they end up in, you know, maybe they're just 
deep in Klingon space right now, and then in their effort, well, they're, get they're out. deep in something right now. Yeah, they're, right. they're definitely <laughs> they're they're up a deep creek without any sort of uh, paddle to get them out of it. But yeah, we obviously we know they're going to end up in the mirror universe. We've been told they're going to end up in the mirror universe at some. Mm-hmm. Whether that's where they are right now, or whether that becomes an effect of them trying to get back from wherever they are now, we don't yet know. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's where they are now. But yeah, because be- if I don't know if you've seen the close-up uh, screen cap of Lorca's uh, console on his uh, chair. Oh yeah, yep. And I have issues with it because I think they. They they put that they did the hundred and thirty three jumps to break the cloak, so that the quote unquote unknown one when they did their final jump to go home as Lorca said that should have been either jump one of a new sequence altogether or jump one thirty four, but the screenshot right. shows it as jump one thirty three and I'm I'm sitting there going like okay first of all Lorca you're a bad bad man and second of all oh my gosh that's the wrong number I didn't even what notice the number. <laughs> <laughs> It um, I'm like, no, they already did 133 to break the cloak. Like, that was the number they needed to break the cloak. They did that. Then they shot the ship. Then they had a whole thing. And then they did another jump. And that's where he overrid it to an unknown destination. So it should have been either wow. 1 or 134. And they had it listed as 133. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Well, you can't get it right all the time, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, the, oh man, the, the the idea behind their whole jumping and the way they kept the Klingons busy while they were jumping because Cole was ready to to take off. He's like, okay, they're obviously doing something. Something's mm-hmm. up. We need to get out of here and figure out what's happening because this isn't normal. We're cloaked and they're just hopping about all over the place, seemingly willy nilly. We should probably leave. And as soon as Michael hears that, she's like, okay, I need to stall. Them. I need to keep them here because they're only on jump like 60 at that point of the 133. And mm-hmm. so she starts, you know, starts some stuff with him on the bridge there. Starkov ship, which was awesome. Oh, the whole, the whole fight sequence was so well done because it's hard to think that, wow, can Michael really even stand her own against this huge Klingon warrior? And, I think it was something on after track or, or one of the interviews, like, you know, it's her Vulcan fighting style versus Klingon fighting style. And also the fact that she's a woman and smaller than him. So and more of her, huh? And, and human, human. Yeah. Yeah. So more of her moves are basically like duck and weave and just get in something when you can. Yeah, and it's, it's classic speed against strength type of fight. You know, you've got the big oh, yeah. dude over here um, who, you know, obviously can win if he can get a hold of you. If he gets a hold of you and, and, and stop you, he's going to win. But if you can keep him moving, it's it's great for it, it did exactly what they needed it to do, which was stall him. It's the perfect fighting style for a long drawn out battle because, you know, he's constantly trying to get her and she's dashing away and, and getting away and you know you saw like she would have eventually lost that fight you know you oh no doubt getting way tired yeah and he was still kind of playing with her a little bit like he had 
he didn't really start to like, okay, I'm, I'm seriously going to take you out right now until after she stabbed him in the leg. Like after that, he was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm <laughs> really coming for you now. And then, you know, she was transported away very shortly after that. So had that not happened, I have no doubt that he would have eventually won that fight. But she did what she needed to do and stalled him for long enough for them to get those jumps in and break the cloak. Right. And it was one of those, it, this was one of those scenes I've kind of been waiting for because this was in some of the early trailers, like him pointing at her with the, um, uh, the mechleth and her picking one up and, and charging to him. That's been in the trailers since close to the beginning. So I believe one of the first press images of Cole was him. Yeah. Giorgio's badge on his uniform like it was off to the side a little bit you couldn't really see but but he was wearing that badge and people were like why is he wearing why does he have a starfleet badge on like didn't make any sense at the time but now it's like oh okay i'm actually kind of sad that he's dead now (laughs) because the actor was so great and i loved this whole thing with the klingons and now with the ship of the dead destroyed i I know they're going to be dealing with this whole mirror universe or alternate reality thing, but I really hope this isn't the end end of the Klingon war because you still have a bunch of Klingon ships out there with the cloak. And I know they found a way to get around it now, but Discovery's still in an alternate universe, so they haven't transmitted that data as far as I know. Right. I would like to just back up a little bit and uh, explain uh, why Burnham was on the uh, Ship of the Dead, because uh, I don't think we actually said why she was there. Oh, yeah. Specifically, to, you know, they had de- devised a way to break the cloak, but it required having sensors on the ship itself at two different points, the furthest no. forward and the furthest yeah. back that they could uh, to transmit this data, and they, they were talking about having it, how it would take days worth of data to to collect enough to break the cloak, or we could do all these jumps and get that data faster. Now, I love this. I, I love that they really thought this out because this is real science. You can you can triangulate something faster with three points in space, and. I just I love the whole concept and the and the plan of it because you know you got the two ends of the ship where these sensors are and then you've got the discovery is the one that's creating this 3D map and I think this is one of the most unique and well thought out plans that that we've seen on Star Trek in terms of you know battling a unique situation like this Oh, I agree. I, I love the fact that they, you know, and they were able to basically, you know, no pun intended, kill many birds with one stone in this situation because it also gave them the opportunity to get Cornwall back, which I was very, very much hoping that she wasn't. And the fact that she wasn't dead and they got her back makes me very happy. Um, so they gave her that opportunity. It also gave the opportunity to get Laurel and to see yeah. that interaction between Laurel and Tyler, who... Oh, man, the whole Tyler Voke thing is so convoluted right now because we, we we saw so many things that pointed away from that maybe being a thing. 
And then this episode brings it all right back to maybe there is something going on here. It's very hard to tell. Are we seeing flashbacks of him being tortured? Or are we seeing flashbacks of the extensive surgery needed to make him human? You know, what are we seeing here? It's very, very, it's still so convoluted. And, I, and I'm still hoping that that whole thing was just a, a nice little red herring the, the writers threw out for the internet to uh, latch on to while they my, you know, move the cards around someplace else. So my thing is, like, the reason why I'm still hoping that, you know, maybe this is legitimate Tyler is because this is the first time that Star Trek, I think, has really tackled an issue about rape, uh, specifically, like, a guy being raped. And that's something that not a lot of shows in general tackle anyway. And to me, like, this is great. You know, we're talking real about PTSD, you know, him being tortured and, and violated like this. And it's the, the thing that, that makes me hope, like you said, I'm, I'm hoping that the whole Tyler being Vogue thing is a red herring that they, just to, just to let people have something to latch onto while they, while they danced around somewhere else and, and made a different thing happen because I, I think it's a fantastic way to show not only, uh, you know, you're seeing the PTSD, but you're seeing the torture and the the rape used as part of the torture, like to really break down this person. And the fact that mm-hmm. at the end of that episode, he is broken. Like you see him, just like, what did you do to me? And she's like, you know, kind of got a little Stockholm thing going on, where where she's like, don't worry, I won't let them hurt you. That's my oh. job. You know, like that's basically what it what it seems like. She's like, yeah, I'm not going to let them hurt you because that's my job. But that's why I kind of wish he's not Voke because I don't want this whole discussion and this whole topic because then it would be like taking that away. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it'd be all fake at that point, right? So, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think it's just, you know, it's easy to look at it and think they're still leaving us breadcrumbs for this possible theory. You know, we still haven't seen Vogue since the sarcophagus ship. We still have the question mark about him being able to survive so well under seven months of Klingon torture. We still have, you know, and then you see these flashbacks from what could be torture or could be surgery. You know, like it, it leaves the question open still. And I think they're doing that very much on purpose. Yeah, because, I mean, it's really odd that we haven't seen Voke. And I know we've mentioned this before, but we haven't seen them since, like, what, the third episode? Yeah, like the third or the fourth episode. Yeah, so it's been a while. At least five episodes where he's been absent. So. But, I mean, we say five episodes, but that sounds so short. But these episodes are so long. <laughs> like, I mean, they're not, they're not longer than any other Star Trek episode, but they they just do such a great job of packing the story in. And every episode feels like this weighty thing. And that's why we have to watch it two, three or even four times. Yeah, I agree. They They're not filled with filler you know so many other you know there's so many episodes of you know i i love tng you guys know this i've said this many many times however there are a lot of not only filler episodes 
but bad filler to fill up twenty six you know twenty six episode seasons. But in each episode, a lot of times there's quite a bit of filler in the episode. You know, you could you could look at some of these episodes, even the better ones, and say, okay, that could have been a twenty five minute episode. Yeah, you know, well, they could have told the story in twenty five minutes. Well, Star Trek has always had the, especially the TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they've always had like an A plot and a B plot to their stories. There's always the main thing going on, but there's always this like side story to these episodes, at at least most of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's why when Star Trek Discovery goes full tilt, this is all one big complicated story you can see those threads more naturally and it makes it feel like we're not watching we haven't just watched nine episodes it it feels longer than that in a good way right yeah there's a lot to digest exactly yeah the episodes are more packed with actual content and so even though it it leaves us feeling almost that they're too short I've never, you know, we don't feel that way about other Star Trek episodes typically because mm-hmm. usually they're not too short. They're usually uh, sometimes too long or they're just right. But these ones almost feel too short because you just want more story. It's not that they're too short. It's that we just want more. <laughs> so it's <laughs> give me more right now, right now, right now, right now. I'm going to throw a mini uh, a Rascal's Picard tantrum until uh, I give me uh, more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good reference um uh i thought it was pretty cool that we see burnham use a communicator it like has a built-in universal translator mm-hmm. oh that whole scene i'm so glad that they finally showed like a real time i i just love how they depicted the universal translator that was epic yeah and i definitely appreciated the fact that i didn't have to read subtitles during the scene because <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to follow the action. And I think read. that's why they did it. Right. Yeah, they they definitely did that so that we wouldn't have subtitles during a high action sequence and so that they could, you know, legitimately explain. Because as we know, Lorel is one of the only Klingons that speaks English. So they wouldn't be just understanding her if she came out and started speaking. She would have had to have been speaking Klingon for them to understand her. And as far as we know, Burnham doesn't speak Klingon. You know, we don't, right. we don't know if she, you know, she might know some words, but I don't think she's fluent in Klingon. So, and there's no reason for us to believe that she would be at this point. You know, there's, there's she really hasn't had the opportunity to, to learn Klingon. <laughs> so for them to use it this way to seamlessly transition us into them just speaking English on screen for us was fantastic. The best way to use the universe mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, I agree. And it was it was funny that Court couldn't tell that this was like a a computer doing a translation and then speaking Klingon. It seemed as though someone was speaking Klingon. Yeah, originally he he felt that way, but that was also because she was hiding. So he just heard the Klingon voice coming from the communicator, and that I think he figured it out when she comes out and she's got the communicator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She she's like, she like puts yeah. him down. And it's like, see, this is an example of human ingenuity. This is an example of what we do so that we can communicate with other species. Like, we're trying here. We don't want to fight you. We want to communicate with you. But I love how he brushed it off because it's like, oh, you know, it's just 
it's just another imperialistic way for you guys to try and conquer us. Yep. That was great. Yeah. Too bad we, we won't get any more coal. Uh, uh, unless it's a flashback. <laughs> yeah, we can always have some flashbacks. Yeah. Um, yeah we also, for some flashback sequences, because he was awesome. We have uh, the first uh, romantic kiss between two men on a uh, Star Trek <laughs> series. About time. And it was it was so well done, too, that I didn't even... Like, it, it, it wasn't... Yeah. A moment that jumped out at the screen like oh my gosh they did that it was just it fit these are two characters that we've established are in a relationship with each other that care about each other deeply it was a highly emotionally charged moment they're not the type for normal pda on duty type of stuff but it was a moment that it felt normal and natural and it, it wasn't forced in there Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, we've had same-sex kisses in Star Trek before, always between females, you know, but we've had them, and they've almost always felt forced. Like, they felt like they've been added in for the sake of the shock value. Um, you know, most notably, I, specifically the one between the Mirror, Esri, and Kira, that was to- totally unnecessary. It was just... Yeah. In there for pure shock value or titillation value, whichever whichever it does for you, that's what it was meant for, and it didn't. I didn't feel that it propelled the story at all. No. It's interesting. It was, I that would mean that this was the first one between two uh, humans of the same gender. It was, oh, that's right, because it's it's always involved a trill before. Yeah, either two trill or a trill and a bajoran. I mean, you could. I mean, you did have that Riker episode in TNG with the supposedly androgynous species. I mean, they had... I don't know what you'd want to... How you'd want to classify that. It was it was an attempt. I think it was as close as they could come in that era to yeah. get away with. Like, they, they couldn't, right. couldn't have gotten away with anything else on TV that was as close as they were going to get. But yeah, but even then, you only had one human in that equation. Right. Yeah, it, it just shows how progressive Star Trek is and continues to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, the, the best part about that scene was the fact that it did not feel in any way forced or shoehorned in. It it felt natural. It felt like it pushed the storyline along. It made us feel even more for these characters. You know, these are two people who care for each other. One of them's going into a dangerous situation. The other one does not want them to do it, but is willing to do whatever they need to do to help. And it's it was just a wonderful moment between two people and it doesn't matter what gender the two people are. It was just a wonderful moment between two people, two characters on screen. It was fantastic. Yeah. Very well done. So we, we talked about the, the last jump where Lorca overrides, uh, the, uh, the jump, uh, Stamets at the end of this jump, he collapses and his eyes are glazed over. And I, Tilly says something that's not a like the jump wasn't a location or, or something along those lines. Complete uh, navigation. Your navigation reports it as an incomplete jump or something like that is what she said. Right. Something about something being incomplete is how the, is how she referenced it. And again, I do have to you know not just the number thing that bugs me, but another thing that mm-hmm. bugs me is for the fact that he can do that from the captain's chair. 
but supposedly that's a non-essential system. <laughs> Come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to drop the <laughs> we got to drop the non-essential system stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's it still just bugs me just a little bit. Like I love that episode. Yeah. Magic to make the sanest man go mad was a fantastic fun episode, but it still bugs me that the way they get him is by calling the captain's chair a non-essential system. And then two episodes later, here he is changing the navigation of the spore drive, the main drive unit of the entire starship from mm-hmm. the chair. I'm like, you can't tell me that's non-essential. <laughs> Maybe the, the terminology is wrong. Maybe it's a low priority system. <laughs> uh, uh, just like, Oh, come on now. That's not, but all right. <clears throat> Yeah, it's just one of those things that we'll just need to accept. It's one of the very, very, very few complaints I have about Star Trek Discovery, and if they can keep my complaints down to that level of pettiness, then they're doing a dang good job. Yeah, no, I agree. But we got we got Lorca here. We we see him manipulating, and when you look back after watching this episode the first time. You can see how he's just manipulating Stamets and just playing to that. I don't think Lorca even cared about doing like capturing the Klingons. This whole point was to push the spore drive to its limit and then get more information about these, these negative pockets of space that Stamets was talking about, which could lead to a parallel reality. And I think this Pavo point was just one one more point in that negative space. And sure, the side effect is, you know, dealing with the Klingons. But I think at the same time, it just enforced Lorca a new position to enter this realm. And now I'm just questioning, you know, we, we talked about him maybe being a mirror Lorca, you know, because of his actions. And even when he was told that Admiral Cornwall was going to be fine, it was more of like a, Oh, she's going to be fine (laughs) moment. Like I'm in deep trouble. Yeah. That, that brief moment of, I'm in trouble. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm glad you made a full recovery. Damn it. Like (laughs) you can see that on his face. So I, I think this whole thing, I think, you know, when he inputted those new coordinates, there's just that smug look on his face. And, uh, like, I, 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 I like Lorca. I think the telling thing was his line when he goes, yeah. let's go home. And he, he said it very softly, and you could almost argue that he was saying it to himself. Like, he changed the directions, he changed where they were going, and he's like, let's go home. Like, just talking, like, he's just kind of reassuring himself in that moment that I'm finally getting to go back to where, you know, this is what it took to get me back to where I'm supposed to be. And mm-hmm. he cares about the rest of this crew because they're just what I needed to get where I needed to be. Right. I was wondering if he took this opportunity to jump into the mirror universe to avoid the consequences of uh, Cornwell being able to take him mm-hmm. away from his command. Yeah, that, now when that's the other he's, possibility that, that we could be definitely looking at. Right, so now that he's in a completely different universe, he can go ahead and do whatever he wants, essentially, uh, without um, consequence. Because now the entire crew is now focused on 
trying to get home, so he has the crew preoccupied. Right. Uh, and because, as far as they know, this was a complete accident because they don't know that he changed uh, the destination and he acts just as surprised as everyone else mm-hmm. that they're not where they're supposed to be. Right. But if you watch that trailer preview, he's called a liar. Like you've manipulated us. So yeah, there's the scene where Cobra is yelling at him. You wanted this to happen, didn't you? Now that could be taken a number of different ways, either that, you know, is he talking about just the effects to, to Stamets? Is he talking about where they are? Is he talking about just the fact that he got the information needed based on these sport drums? Because I don't think he planned the 133 jumps to get that information. I think he saw that as an opportunity as soon as because that oh, sure. is planned. That was the plan, you know, Burnham came up with and said, here's what we can do. And the, the look on his face was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. You you can get this by doing a, a bunch of jumps. And he's like, while you're doing that, I'm going to be getting all the information I need. I think it just propelled his timetable a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think he sure. probably would have held off even. I don't know if he had all the information he wanted. But I think he did what he did because Stamets A was saying, this is my last jump. And so he's like, okay, well, it's now or never because I might not be able to convince him to do it again. And B, the the Cornwall situation. So he's like, okay, it's got to be – it's now or never. I've got all the information I'm going to get because I'm either going to get my ship taken away from me or mm-hmm. the thing that can run this spore drive is going to be gone. Uh, i got to do it now. And that's why he chose that moment to, to do it. And maybe that's why things were so rough is because maybe he didn't have all the data necessary that he really needed to get exactly where he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So the surprise still could have been a little bit genuine. Like he could have been like, oh, I did not expect it to be that rough. And know what we haven't seen in six episodes? Well, the black badges. That is true. Yeah, why the hell did those disappear? Uh, a weird breadcrumb that hopefully leads to the mirror universe <laughs> I, um, I guess <laughs> it, it's interesting yeah we just get a little tease of that in the third episode um and we only saw them they were just the people guarding certain areas of the ship um and we haven't been back to those areas of the ship we don't know what other you know maybe that got sidelined maybe those uh mm-hmm. projects or whatever that were going on got sidelined because of the war you know, maybe they're like, okay, mm-hmm. we need to focus on this. We've got the spore drive working now, so you guys are front and center doing your thing in the war. You don't have time for these other experiments. These things have to go. So those things just got sidelined while they work. And maybe some of those people are still on board and we get to see them now that they're trapped. Maybe they'll have to go back to some of these weird experiments to try to get home. Possibly. I just want to see them again. And, and I'm sure we'll learn what the heck... They are. Um, they must have some special <laughs> reasoning for existing. Yeah, you can't just throw them out there and then never show it again and never explain it again. That's just rude. <laughs> right. oh, that's so weird. I know they talked a lot about, you know, the, the Pavins. I, in a way, I was kind of hoping for more of a, you know, them to interact more once the Klingons came. Like, it, it felt like the whole Pavo thing just turned into a big side note. Right. And I thought we would explore that more a little bit, but I can understand the the real focus was defending them against the Klingons. And I, I get it from a story perspective, um, 
but I don't know. I, I just, I hope we revisit Pavo at some point. Right, and it's kind of interesting. The Discovery was ordered to retreat to Federation space, mm-hmm. and Lorca used the Pavans as, as a uh, ploy, I guess, to disobey orders. Right. It was, it was an excuse to get his crew to go along with disobeying the orders, because he wanted to fight the Klingons. He wanted to give the the crew another reason to be behind him on that and not be like, why are we doing this? So he used the, we have to defend the province. They have no other line of defense because mm-hmm. that would get the crew rallied behind him, even though all he wanted to do was fight the Klingons. Yeah, it was uh, seemingly out of character for him. It's weird to say, anytime we see this particular starship captain actually caring about anyone other than himself. It's very out of character. <laughs> yeah, I saw somewhere online someone mention that, you know, he didn't care about that space whale, but all of a sudden he cares about these uh, these aliens on Pavo. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So. yeah. It was totally an excuse. It was his, you know, he's... He's a master manipulator, like we've said. He knows exactly what buttons he needs to push to get people rallied behind him. He has mm-hmm. people fooled more than anybody else. You know, the last mm-hmm. episode compared to this one, we saw where she was like, I'm happy to be a part of this mission. Like, I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of this, this thing. And I'm like, do you realize what you're a part of? You don't even know. Oh, my gosh, you're being twisted around so bad. <laughs> um, but that does uh, bring us to, to, to a point that we talked about briefly last episode because of the trailer for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, what exactly is Lorca's fascination with Michael? He needs her for something because he has an unhealthy fascination keeping her alive and on that ship with him. Yeah. He did not want her to go on that mission. He ordered her to not go. He was like, no, it's too dangerous. And they had to be like, Seriously, nobody else is going to be able to pull this off. Like, she's literally the only person on the ship. She had to convince him. She had to be like, like, you're not using your resources properly if you don't send me on this mission. Mm-hmm. They had to, he, there was some serious convincing happening. And then, of course, you, you flash back to the first time we, uh, we see them go on that away mission. And he tells Tyler, bring her back or don't come back at all. You know, you, get, you think about that moment, too. And it's like, okay, so he's putting a lot of emphasis on having Michael there. He needs her for something. And I'm, I want to know what that is. There's something else. There's something deeper there that we haven't seen yet. And I want to know what it is. Ah, there's so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love this show. They just, they keep us guessing and it's fantastic from start to finish. The first half of this season has just been a nonstop train ride. It's really been quite amazing. I, they've been, done such a fantastic job. The writing, the acting, the visual effects, the makeup, uh, just everything, just working in perfect concert to give us just fantastic television. This is just this is just great TV. It's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of worried. Not worried, but several people I talked to yesterday, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. had no clue that there was a series. So I'm kind of worried that it's not expanding. If like if it was on traditional TV, mm-hmm. uh, more people would you know might 
tune in just out of curiosity or because there was nothing on TV? I think they, uh, they'd have more physical people watching, but they wouldn't be able to do what they're doing on traditional TV. No, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Subset yeah. right now, like it's a whole different genre in and of itself. You have you have television, you have movies, and now you have streaming originals. And I think streaming originals are really bridging the gap between traditional television in this, the the format of storytelling, where you have multiple hours to tell mm-hmm. your story, and the cinematic effects and storytelling that you can do in a movie. Now you can do that on TV via these streaming originals. You couldn't do that on broadcast television. It comes back to my point about, you know, who's paying for the show. In this case, you know, mm-hmm. in traditional television model, the advertisers are paying for the show. So you're getting on TV what the advertisers think will sell you a Coke. That's what that's what you're getting. You're not getting the best story the writers right. can make. You're not getting the best television that you want. You're getting whatever the advertisers think will sell you some Levi's. In this case we're paying for it. We're giving money to the producers saying, here, make me a TV show. And we're getting such a better product for it. Cutting out the stupid advertising middlemen and saying, just give me TV. Here's my money. Give me some good TV. And we're getting yeah. it. And I think we're going to see more and more people transitioning to this model as more and more shows are, are produced on these streaming originals. You know, we're already seeing Netflix mm-hmm. Got a ton of different content. Hulu's pushing out their own content. They've got some really great shows. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I recommend Chance on Hulu. It's got Hugh Laurie in it and uh, Ethan Suppley. Fantastic show. Um, if you've ever watched My Name is Earl or any of the Kevin Smith movies you know, oh, yeah. he was in, you will be shocked because, oh my gosh, Ethan Suppley is so different in this than anything I've ever seen him in before, and he's so good. Uh, I did not realize he had that range as an actor. I did not. Uh, oh, wow. Sick. Um, you know, obviously, we have Star Trek Discovery on CBS. Uh, Amazon's got their own stuff. You know, we've got the Man in High Castle and uh, uh, Bosch is a great show based on the uh, Hieronymus Bosch novels. By, uh, oh, I, I, I definitely recommend Man in the High Castle. That's a fantastic show. You get all these all these different shows, and then even you know HBO has their own original content. I obviously got Game of Thrones, but they've got other stuff as well. Uh, Showtime does their own stuff. They've got uh, I mm-hmm. think it's uh, a, no, it's Stars that does uh, Outlander, which my wife loves. Um, you know all of these these different you know, they're changing the way we're getting the content, and I think as we see more and more people transition to that, we're going to see more and more people who know about Star Trek Discovery and start watching it. And I'm okay with there being a smaller fan base mm-hmm. as long as it's because we're paying for it directly. It doesn't need to be as big to continue getting it made. Right. It doesn't need to be your traditional TV ratings because that money is going directly to the producers to get this stuff made. So I, it, it's disappointing only for me in the fact that it's less people that I can physically talk to about it. Like I talk right. to people and say, hey, have you checked out Discovery? And they're like, oh, no, I haven't. I'm like, ah, you got to watch that. Um, it gives me the opportunity <laughs> to yell at them and be like, no, seriously, watch it. Um, mm-hmm. But if it was just on broadcast TV, it wouldn't be the show that it is. And yeah, right. we still oh. watch it and we still talk about it, but I'm sure we wouldn't be talking about just how phenomenal it is. We'd be talking about. We, we wouldn't have naked Klingon boobs <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> Klingon nipples are now canon, guys. Uh, the, 
Although, you know, I, I saw people, some people got really upset about that. And I was like, you know what? If you look at Deep Space Nine as a whole, between Lursa and Bator, we got more Klingon boobage in <laughs> Nine than we got out of, you know, we just happened to catch some Klingon nipple in this one. But, I mean, you want to talk about total boob factor. Deep Space Nine is, is definitely the, the one to beat when it comes to Klingon boobage. Yeah, but but still, it was um, it was a shocking moment. They're definitely taking advantage of the TVMA uh, for sure. And but it 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 wasn't like a like a ooh sexual thing. It was highly disturbing. Like right, I was watching that scene and I was like, uh, oh my god, this is terrifying. <laughs> um, and I think that's exactly what they were going for. That was not. That was not a Klingon nipple used for, for titillation factor. That was, <laughs> that was used to show, uh, to, to emphasize how traumatic what Tyler was going through at that moment was, you know. And I think it, I think it worked. I don't think mm-hmm. it was just for the sake of, you know, hey, look, hey, guess what? We're on streaming so we can show a nipple if we want. Okay, let's do it. No, I think it was like, okay, you know what? Let's Let's take this scene and do everything we can to make sure that it's, uh, powerful and that's Mm -hmm. i I felt that it added power to the scene not shock value but actual power to the scene personally it was just the the whole the whole way that tyler's ptsd and the way it was shot and i really have to go back and single frame those torture scenes because there were so many quick shots I, i gotta know where they just in his brain, were they taking off his face? Like, I, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like there was a lot packed in there and I'm sure probably a lot of it is just like they were doing that maybe to throw people off too, because they know people are going to screen cap the hell out of that and analyze <laughs> every single frame of that scene. Because I, I have to know this whole Volk mystery I, everyone does. It's become a meme now with on Twitter, <laughs> which is hilarious in its own right. But still, <laughs> I, I did a few because I was bored the other day. I threw out a couple of uh, my my personal fan theories. I said Tyler equals Ash, and I had a picture of uh, Tyler next to Ash Ketchum. And then I <laughs> oh no! Then I said Tyler equals Ash, and I had uh, Tyler next to a picture of Ash from from Evil Dead. And then my final one, I said, Tyler equals Ash, and I had a picture of him disintegrating from the the dark matter weapon. Oh my god! I actually it, I saw some of those when you were posting them. That they were funny. I was I was bored and uh, having a little fun with it with the uh, people having their fan theories. So uh, so yeah, uh, why don't we jump into the subspace channels question? Uh, yes. What was the most shocking moment for you during the mid-season finale of Star Trek Discovery? Uh, before we continue, uh, won't we uh, find out what we thought? Uh, so either of you, Eric's, uh, I, want to uh, jump in? I, I already talked about it. I think Tyler's PTSD and her being on the Discovery now and that whole scene where he's in the brig and freaking out. I think to me that was the biggest like shock value moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that related to his PTSD, because 
I didn't know that they were going to go there and they did and they made it creepy and you, you really feel for Tyler now. And so for him, if he is Vogue, it's going to be, even though we're, many of us may have seen that coming. If they go that route fully and he is Vogue, man, this is going to be so emotional because they are really making you feel for Tyler with Burnham's relationship with him. And the way that she comforted comforted him in this episode was just so fantastic. And you really feel for this guy. So if he becomes like this massive traitor and he is Voke in some way or has Voke's consciousness or or some something, it's going to be one of the most heart-wrenching things that we've seen on Star Trek and bravo to the writers. If they're able to pull off something like this. So with all these PTSD things, you really start to feel for Tyler. And if they go another way, it's, it's going to make scenes like this even more painful in the future. So that's, that's what shocked me. Yeah. I would have to say that's uh, very, very close to my, most shocking moment for me, the most shocking moment was the, when they walked in to that room and Tyler sees Laurel and, and starts breaking down like that instant when yeah. seeing him so cool and calm and collected. And, you know, he's like, yeah, he suffered through this and yeah, he's got, you know, some, some, some after effects a little bit, you know, he's a little jumpy here and there, but we, we haven't seen him actually break down in the moment when we just see that look on his face when he sees her. And it's just like, the, the acting was so perfect that you know, you just see that moment where he just mm-hmm. breaks. And the second that happened, that was when I like literally gasped the first, I was like, Ooh, Oh damn, she's in here. Like, Oh, this is going to be bad. Like what's going on here. And then mm-hmm. you know, he just like breaks down and like, uh, and, and yeah, we get all these flashbacks. We see his PTSD kicking in. Um, and we see that, you know, to get out of that, to, to get back into the now and be able to, to fight and, and get out of the situation, he's thinking about his relationship with Burnham. So you're right. If it does end up being that he is a spy in some way, whether he's mm-hmm. actual Voke or whether he's just, uh, you know, somehow been turned, you know, like ha- like a sleeper agent type of thing. To the dark side. Something going in there. Um it's going to be really, really uh, messed up for everybody. No doubt. It's, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, so along the lines of the PDSD, uh, I think the only other time we had that in Star Trek was with Picard and his uh, Borg experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't delve this deep. It was, it was, yeah, it didn't delve as deep it didn't show it um as shocking as much um it was a fantastic episode i think you're talking about brothers yes uh well several episodes of of tng in regards to the experience with locutus yeah oh yeah like family and and all that one flashes here and there but i think brothers was the one where they really let him yeah act it out and that was that was fantastic when he broke down with his brother and you know and they're they're fighting and he just breaks down and that was the moment when yeah i felt that they were actually treating the subject with some reverence 
But for the most shocking moment for me, the destruction of the uh, sarcophagus ship or the ship of the dead, I I did not see that coming. Uh, I thought that the war was going to last uh, the entirety of the season, at least with Core mm-hmm. um, or Cole. Sorry, uh, wait, what's his? Name? Is it Cole? Cole. Or Cole. Cole. Um, with uh, Cole. Um, being a major player uh, for the entire series. So that was kind of shocking to me. Oh, yeah. When he died, I was like, wait, what? Who's going to be your main bad guy? And then you start thinking, and it's like, maybe Lorca's going to be yeah, the bad right? guy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so why don't we uh, see what our listeners said. And first up from Twitter, we have at queer underscore trek who says that they hadn't revealed that Ash was Voke. A happy one, though. So that was their most shocking moment, uh, was the lack of a moment, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, Next, we have at Sarah underscore uh, Jenkinson, who says, Stamets, is he going to be okay? One of my faves, so would be very sad if he wasn't. It's like when, when you said it like that, when you said Stamets, it's almost like, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, <laughs> damn it! Uh, but I agree, that was pretty shocking, uh, to see him on the ground with his eyes glazed oh. over like that. Yeah, very shocking. Very shocking indeed. And uh, finally, from Twitter, we have at the guest room pod, who says, Destruction of the Ship of the Dead... In the death of Cole, uh, Discovery has taken a turn that I wasn't expecting, but which I find most welcome because now I don't know what to expect. And he's uh, this person's right. They uh, definitely take a lot of right turns when you're not expecting it. Oh, yeah. It's part of what makes it so great is the fact that you think you know the direction they're going, and then you find out, oh, nope, nope, they're going to go over here now. Okay, all right, maybe they'll go back. Maybe they won't. Who knows? Yeah. Next up from Facebook, we have William Smith, who says, I'm going to go with the death of Cole. Uh, Next, we have our friend Clive Burrell, who says, The Laurel slash Tyler rape flashbacks. Nothing like it in Trek before. The producers said they would push the boundaries, and they bloody well did with that one. Shocking and disturbing at the same time, but very, very current. I agree with you there, uh, Clive. Next, we have Mike Saucier, who says, I hate to admit it, but the two guys, the doctor and the blonde guy, having a relationship, it's a new concept to the Star Trek canon. And he uh, goes on to say, mind you, I have no issues with it. It's just shocking. There's um, one thing they, they bring up here that I wanted to mention. The fact that the doctor and the blonde guy, yeah, <laughs> otherwise known as Culver and Stamets, <laughs> the fact that they are in a relationship is different for Star Trek, not because they're a, it's a same-sex relationship, that part of right. that, but the fact that they are starting the series with them already in a relationship it's a very Trek thing to do to have nobody in a relationship at the beginning and mm-hmm. then 
to force awkward relationships later on. <laughs> I'm looking That's at you, Worf true. and Troy. Uh, <laughs> oh, the worst part of TNG. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know, it, because in Trek's past, usually we don't really see that. We don't see the relationships that uh, were there before. You know, we see. Uh, you know, Riker and Troy mm. used to have a thing, but they don't anymore, and, they, and they're on the ship together. Okay, and they, they could have explored that more, I think, but they didn't. But other than that, you don't really you don't really have many examples of relationships already being there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the few times when you when you do have that. They didn't push them together later on because of circumstances. They were already together. They're a couple. They're together. And so I think that's pretty cool, too, just in and of itself. Next up from Facebook, Michael Rooney Jr., who says, When it ended without an epic space battle, I really thought the buildup was going to lead to a showdown between the two forces. We almost got a good fight on the Klingon ship, but ended with a beam-out cop-out, and there were plenty of good moments, but watching Discovery buzz around mapping them while they sat there wasn't what I showed up for. Uh, you know what? I I think that was still kind of epic because they finally bested the Klingons, and even the Klingons didn't know what the hell was going on. I love that one effect where the Discovery zipping around, and you see Cole like looking out the window, like up and around. I thought that was hilarious because right. we finally got the drop on the Klingons, and they don't know what to expect. So. I didn't think the beam out was a cop out. They're saving her life. I thought that was an epic moment. She was able to grab Giorgio's badge, like mm-hmm. the one piece of something that she can have of Giorgio's back. And she was able to grab it, do that epic leap off the balcony. It was it was a great moment. I don't think that was a cop out at all. Yeah, I have to disagree with almost every point he's making here. First of all, we did get an epic space battle. It just was between two ships instead of between a, a bunch of ships. Uh, we, yeah, we already got that in the first two episodes of the show. Um, as far as, you know, thought it was going to be a buildup to showdown between the two forces again, we've already seen that. And that's, you know, so that was like, okay, well. That's one way they could have ended the season, you know, the mid-season finale. But they chose to go a different route, where our heroes are stuck where they do not know. Um, I thought it was a fantastic fight on the Klingon ship. It went on for quite a while, and if it had gone on any longer, she would have died. And that was the whole point: is that we had to know that she was not going to win that fight. There was no way for her to win that fight. The the best she could do is to drag it out as long as possible and give the discovery a chance to get her out of there. So I think they did exactly what they needed to do. And I did not think that beam out was a cop out. I thought it was amazing. Um, and I felt that the effects that they showed when, when the discovery is buzzing about or buzzing around, um, I love the fact that we, first of all, we get to see that, that spore drive effect, which is awesome in and of itself. But then I love the fact that, you, you know, during certain jumps, not every single one, but during certain jumps, you saw the, the, the slight outline of the Klingon ship in the effect. And mm. the fact that they only showed us like six or seven jumps out of the 133, if they just sat there and showed us all 133 jumps, then I'd have been like, okay, maybe they're spending a little bit too much time on this. I thought they, they did it perfectly as far as how much of that to show us compared to how much of the fight to show us. 
So, yeah, I have to uh, completely disagree <laughs> on just about every point. <laughs> I, I'm going I to... opinion, and you are welcome to it. Right, I'm going to step up and defend Michael here for a quick second. Uh, he is uh, a very big Klingon supporter. Um, uh-huh. He is a professional uh, Klingon translator. He's done some uh, work uh, translating. There's a uh, these caves in Australia, which he flew over there, and uh, they do a tour there, and he translated the tour into Klingon for them. He's done some other Klingon uh, translations. He has been a model, uh, like they uh, decked him out in Klingon garb for this uh, event that they had at a science museum where they were going over, I think, Star Trek technology and they had him, you know, be the uh, face of the exhibit. So he's, he's Klingon all the way. Uh, which is why he wanted more battle and, and <laughs> thought it sure. was a cop out. So I, I just wanted to defend his his honor. Like, like I uh, said, there. he's welcome to his opinion. I, I happen to disagree, but I can understand where he's coming from. If that's uh, you know, he, he's rooting for the wrong side. Dang it! <laughs> but <laughs> but, right. but I get it. I get it. Right. Uh, so finally, from Facebook, we have Ray Marie, who has been a uh, on our podcast in the past, who says uh, the acknowledgement of PTSD and the flashbacks with Klingon nudity that was definitely new. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the only response we got that was specifically about uh, Klingon nipple. <laughs> I'm just surprised that's the only one that said that. Like. Expected that to be the number one answer among most people, and it wasn't. Mm. So that's what surprised me. I see. Well, I, I guess people wanted to go a different route with their answers. <laughs> I guess. Uh, oh, that's fine. No, that's totally cool because it wasn't uh, wasn't the most shocking thing for me either. I thought it was uh, effective. So, right. And I, I mean, it was so brief too. It wasn't that long. It was just enough. Mm-hmm. I think um, if they were on that particular scene for longer, I think it would have been, you know, gratuitous. Um, so I'm glad they kept it brief. Um, yeah, so yeah. It needed to be in the, in those flash scenes where it's just like brief, brief moments and you're getting basically what's going through his head. Um, mm-hmm. and that's exactly why it needed to be there, but also why it needed to be as short and, and quick as it was. And I think, it, like I said, I think they just did a fantastic job. So finally, do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? What's that? So what happened to the technology used to alter life signs of the wearer that was used in this episode? Did it become obsolete with newer and better scanning equipment? I don't know. I, I thought it was very cool to have this technology. I just don't understand why we haven't seen it again. It was one of the brief moments that I was when I was watching the episode. I'm like, why are they bothering with this we haven't seen anything from the klingons indicating that they're constantly monitoring the inside of the ship and we've seen other instances in star trek episodes where people have gone aboard other ships and not been detected until they were seen and then somebody did an actual scan you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not always where they've got constant scans running so 
I didn't feel that they needed to tack that on there. Um, but maybe it's a hint for something in the future. Maybe it's just something they felt they, they needed. Maybe somebody somewhere said, no, the Klingons would notice if two humans just beamed aboard. So I, I kind of took it like that. Like, you know, they're already in a state of war. I think the Klingons know their vulnerability, that their shields are down when they come out of cloak, which would be a good time for someone to beam over. So I didn't mind that life signs technology, but I think you have a point, Aaron, where I think this does become obsolete with better scanning because we even see that, you know, from enterprise to the original series where enterprise is able to find a way to get through and scan through some cloaks with like Vulcan and and some future technology. Whereas the technology keeps progressing and cloaks over time get better and better where Federation ships do have a harder time keeping up with that technology. So I think we're just seeing, you know, some gear for, for infiltration onto an enemy ship during a time of war. And since Starfleet isn't always in war, and I think as the tricorders get better and scanners get better, I think this does become obsolete. So I really didn't have that much of a problem with it. Right. Uh, The only other reason I could see this uh, technology being employed is to hint at... Uh, Tyler being Voke, uh, could the technology be embedded inside of Tyler to trick mm. the medical scanners on board the ship into believing that he's human? We're, we're, we're delving into uh, Tropic Thunder territory here, where we're going to have a dude disguised as a dude dressed up as another dude <laughs> because he's not <laughs> made to look human using technology to mask his life signs as Klingon. Right, because the only reason why I say that is because the biosignature of a prisoner on uh, Star Trek Enterprise in its sickbay revealed that the prisoner was a Klingon, even though he looked human uh, because of the augment virus, which Mm. uh, changed his outward appearance. So if this was... What if they used the augment virus to turn him into Tyler? Right. What if they used the augment virus? He would still show up as a Klingon with medical scanners. But what if they embedded some technology yes. inside of him? Yes. No, I like that. I like that point. Yeah. And so you're saying that the reason for them to show this life signs equipment is to get the idea in the audience's head that it's possible to mask life signs. Right. Okay, I can totally see that. All right. So like they they introduce this concept to us this way so that when it's revealed that he's able, that the Klingons are able to do the same thing for infiltrating, that way we're not like completely shocked like, well, that's just BS. Well, no, we've already seen it in the show. Right. No, I, I, I got you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. So yeah, that's uh, what puts my quantum state into flux. So guys, it was uh, you know great talking Star Trek with someone again. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while for me, like a month or more. 
so yeah, it was a real treat, even though it was early in the morning, uh, to discuss this with you guys. <laughs> I was going to ask you, when was the last time, if ever, that you were able to watch more than one new episode of Star Trek that you'd never seen? <laughs> Had that oh. ever happened to you before? Um, I don't know, because, I mean, how would I be able to? Uh, the technology that, wasn't was there because I was like, well, yeah, when, when all the other shows were coming out, they were coming out week by week over the air. Um, yeah. so unless you missed a season and didn't catch it until it came out on DVD, you've probably never binged any new Trek before. Right. And that's why I was like, and, and neither have I, I don't think, well, no, I take that back because I never did get into Voyager until after it came out. It, it, it had been out. So I did get to the, my first watch through Voyager was binging and it was my first watch so i have had that experience i'm sorry but not with discovery (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because when star trek was on regularly for me i always watched it the week of and if i i don't think i was ever away to to do that like to catch up on new episodes so yeah that's it's it's a great way that you know technology has advanced and we're able to stream and binge watch and do all this crazy stuff. We weren't able to the last time star Trek was on the air with new episodes. Yeah. Right. And this is closer to the star Trek, uh, history of TV being phased out. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, on demand, because uh, I'm sure entertainment as a whole still existed. People still sat down and watched watched things, but the way they consumed it was different. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure this is this is what it was. Yeah, yeah. Everything's on demand. Everything that was uh, existed previously was available. Uh, you saw an Enterprise; they had movie night and. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting little tidbit. I, I I do another podcast called the Crichton Cast, where me and my co-host talk about the works of Michael Crichton and their television film adaptations. I was just watching Enterprise <clears throat> yesterday, and uh, Trip mentions the Andromeda Strain. So I've discovered now that Michael Crichton is Star Trek canon, which is fantastic. <laughs> and that little, I so I messaged my co-host Steve o- over on uh, Crichton Cast. I was like, oh hey, guess what? I just found this out, and. He had never watched. He's not really watched any of the TV shows except for a few episodes here and there. Mm. He's seen all the movies, but hasn't really watched the the shows. And this kind of sparked him. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna watch the watch the Star Treks now. And I'm like, okay. nice. So we were discussing a little bit last night the order in which you wanted to start trying to uh, to consume them. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was kind of a fun little tidbit. But yeah, everything was on demand, just available to basically everything that had ever been created. They've got the, the best internet connection in the world up there. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, so guys, Eric Dewey. Yep. If we were to look for you on the internet, how would we go about doing that? You can find me on the Twitter at Eric J. Dewey or follow my other podcast at CrichtonCast. Very good. Uh, and Mr. Barry, how would we find you on the internet? You can find me at TrekkieB47, Instagram and Twitter mainly. And check out the Ranger Command Power Hour at rangercommand.com, also on the four-eyed 
Radio Network. Very good. And if you were to look for me, you can find me on Twitter at Nova Charter, and you can also find our podcast at SF Escape Pod. So like us, follow us, rate us on uh, iTunes if you get the chance. That would be awesome. And until next time, uh, live long and prosper. Peace and long life. (laughs) You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on Facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. <laughs>